All right. So, go tell it on the mountain. Amen. Evangelism, we learned last week, is relationship, right? It's, it, it's not a skill. It's not a talent, right? It's, it's, it's something, it's relational. It's, it's about a relationship, first of all, but it's also communicated in relationship. That we, when it comes to sharing our faith, it's, it's not about having the right answers. It's not about trying to, you know, have the right strategy, Evangelism is simply telling other people about your own personal experiences with this amazing Jesus. It's relational. It's done in relationship. We tell others about the one who is good news. And I, and I left us with this question last week. Do you have anything to tell? Right? Do you have anything to tell? Of course, first of all, that starts with just, are you saved yourself? Have you met your Savior? Have you had that, have you, you know, started that relationship with him, right? But also, as we consider that, uh, maybe we have that relationship, but have we experienced him? You know, a relationship with Jesus is not something that's just in our minds, uh, praise the Lord, we don't have just simply a religion with a list of things that we have to do. And then, you know, we did it right. You know, and evangelism is one of them. Oh, I got to go do that evangelism thing. No, no, no. The, we have a God who is relational, inter interactive with us. He's meant to be experienced. And so have we experienced him? If we have, then that experience gives us something to tell. That this Jesus is not just some transcendent God but he's also an intimate savior, which is what we want to get into this week. Emmanuel, God with us. That we find out that part of the good news, part of what we have to tell is the fact that he is here. He is near. He is within us. He is with us. John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17 is the passage for this morning's message. And Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. From the very beginning of creation, we see that we have a God who is not, who is transcendent, but yet is still here. We have a God who is totally other, totally separate, totally different from us but a God who has created us for intimate relationship. Even in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, where do we find God? Walking through the garden in the cool of the day. He is with his creation. 
Never in Scripture, from the very beginning it clarifies this, never in Scripture does God create and just leave it. Never does God say, okay, here's this you know, thing that I'm just creating, and it's really fun, and it's cool. Like, I mean, look at the oceans and the land, and oh, this cool, really hot sun that's going around, and this moon, oh yeah, let's give him a moon, that'll be cool, and then just like leaves it alone and walks away. We have a God who creates, and from the very beginning, he wants his creation to know that he's here. That he's near, that he wants intimate relationship. Indeed, we have been created for that very purpose. We saw that last week. Our purpose is not evangelism. Our purpose is intimate relationship with our Father. That's why we've been created. And so we see throughout Scripture that we have a God who wants to be near us, is continuing to pursue us, and is always looking for those opportunities to be in and with us. We see this in Genesis, and we even see the, the, the reality that we cannot even exist without Jesus, without God, right? Without God, we cease to exist. Without his constant attention, if he ever stops thinking about us for even a moment, we cease to exist. And so not only do we need him, but he wants intimate relationship with us. He wants to be with us, one with us. We see this with Adam. God shows up. Over and over again, he just doesn't give him the promise, right? Over and over again, the angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to him, interacts with him, right? Has, has these conversations with him. He wants intimate relationship. We see this with Jacob as well, who wrestles with God, right? The, this amazing wrestling that happens, that we have a God who wants to be intimately in relationship with us. We see Moses through a burning bush to start with, and then the tent of meeting over and over and over again. Moses even gets to see God, at least the, the back of God, if you will, of his glory. So we see God wanting to be with his people, even Joshua, after Moses dies, after they cross the Jordan, Joshua has this encounter with this angel of the Lord with a sword. Throughout Scripture, we see God continuing to pursue his people, wanting us to recognize that he is there and he wants to be with them and he wants them to know him. And then we get to Christmas, right? Then we get to Christmas and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He shows up. John 1.14 says that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The imagery of the garden again, of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, all of a sudden now becomes reality again because Jesus is here. He is actually walking with us in the flesh and blood, right? We'd never experienced that before, not even the garden, but here we get this amazing opportunity where God proves himself once again, I want to be with you. I, I, I want to be connected to you. I didn't just create you and, and just want you to serve me and to do these crazy lists. I, I want you to be interacting with me. I want you to be intimate with me. I want you to know me. Jesus comes to the earth and he walks among us. But of course, that time was limited. Approximately 33 years that he walked among us. And then 
He was taken. But the good news is, he's still with us. Still with us because of the Holy Spirit, right? This thing called Pentecost happens, right? And at Pentecost, what happens? I mean, this amazing baptism of the Spirit that shows up to the disciples in that upper room when all of a sudden the tongues of flame like come down and they all are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to preach in tongues they don't even know, never learned. They're just like, what is going on? This amazing reality, and even Jesus foreshadows this saying, look, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. Yes, I'm going to leave, but it's actually better that I do leave because when I leave, then I will send the helper. I will send the Spirit to come and he will dwell in you. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension is that we, instead of Jesus just being one space at one time, we all get Jesus all the time. We are constantly, intimately filled with the Spirit. At the moment we surrender our lives, that moment when we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into us. An amazing moment of rebirth, as John 3 says. A, a moment of a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. That in that moment, we go from being alone to being one, united, united with our creator, with our God. This is unbelievable if you think about it. How is it possible that sinful, evil, ugly us are able to somehow be one with the Father? Because of the Spirit. The indwelling nature of the Spirit. As the Spirit dwells within us, we get this crazy experience of being part one with the Godhead. It blows our minds. We don't understand it. We don't get it. But it's an amazing truth. We have, we have the personal presence of God dwelling within us. In Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us that that moment when we bow our knee to Jesus, that moment when the Spirit comes and makes a new creation, we are reborn, born of water and now born of Spirit, we get sealed with that Spirit. Ephesians 1 talks about this sealing of our soul, which gives us this confidence of salvation. Confidence that, you know, that we are in, that we're free from condemnation. Confidence that we indeed are accepted into the family of God. Indeed one with him. Indeed a child of God. What a great confidence to have that we don't have to spend the rest of our life trying to, you know, uh, make sure that we're in. Make sure that somehow we've got eternity. No, when we bow our knee to Jesus because the Spirit comes in us, it gives us that assurance. We know because we can feel him, we can hear him, we recognize him. But also with the sealing of the Spirit, we have this eternal access to the Father. And Hebrews 4 talks about this fact that we can have confidence when we pray because we no longer have to fear having, we, don't have, to, we have freedom from the, the guilt and the shame of our sin. That we can actually talk 
to God, that we can have boldness into the kingdom of God, like Moses had boldness walking into the tent of meeting, knowing that we are right with God, not because of our goodness, our righteousness, but because of Jesus. And so this is, again, a great truth. Sealing of the Spirit gives us that confidence that we, are, we have access to the Father, that we can actually communicate with Him, that He will hear us, that He will respond to us, but also the fact that we have eternal love. 1 John 4 talks about this fact that perfect love drives out fear. We no longer have to live our life in fear we can live now with confidence, not worried about tomorrow, knowing that he is with us. This is an amazing reality. This is an amazing truth that his love, when we experience that, it removes the fear in our life. Anytime I feel fear, I go to Jesus. Right? Because that's the source. That's how I get out of that. If you're feeling fear in your life over whatever it may be, over tomorrow, over failure, over whatever, go to Jesus. The reason you're feeling fear is because you don't fully understand and appreciate and haven't experienced the love of Jesus. We need his love. And when we experience it, fear relieves us. Releases. It can go. It goes away. It was getting too serious. We needed to go there anyway. Thank you, Jesus. It's okay. There's great blessing, of course, further blessing with having the indwelling spirit. John 16, 13 tells us that he reveals truth to us. Oh, do, we, do we ever need truth nowadays? Are you frustrated with that? Is that the struggle? I mean, is, is this a reality of our day-to-day -day, you know, existence trying to figure out what's true in our world? If we want to know what true is, then we need to know Jesus. The indwelling spirit lives within us. He knows the truth. He will reveal the truth. John 16, 13 tells, him, tells us that. He's the one that's going to reveal that truth to us. What's happening in the world, he'll reveal what is real, what's true, what's actually happening. But also, he reveals the spiritual realities of who God is. The only way we can understand what Scripture teaches is if we have the Spirit within us. We can't understand it otherwise. No matter how often or how much we, we study this and memorize it and get degrees saying that we've done so, it doesn't mean we know this because truth is only known through the Spirit. It is when we understand and have the Spirit dwelling within us and tap into that Spirit that we can experience truth. Again, the, the Word of God in, in Hebrews chapter 4 talks about it being alive and active. Again, it's alive and active because who wrote it is alive and active. He's involved in our life and he's revealing truth. The Spirit doesn't always only reveal truth. It's not the only blessing we get from that. We also get the fact that we know God's will. It is through having the Spirit live within us that we can understand the will of God. You know, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2 talks about this reality that when, because we have the Spirit, we know the mind of Christ. 
We can know what God is trying to communicate to us. We can hear his voice. We can understand what he's saying to us and because of the Holy Spirit. And understand that that communication is not just corporate communication. It's individual communication. It's personal communication. He knows our name and he communicates us to us through that. He gives us personal direction. God is not done speaking. He spoke indeed, and it's here, but he continues to speak individually to each of us. Are we listening? The Holy Spirit is in us. He's the one that whispers those words to us. One that encourages us. He gives us personal direction, but he also gives us words to share. Indeed, coming up and preaching each week, the only way I can do this is because the Holy Spirit is revealing to me the words that he wants me to share. That doesn't mean that every word comes out of my mouth is from him. We all know that. Um, But it does mean the overarching message is from him, that that's the truth that he wants. Because, you know, there's a lot of you. I don't know what you're all going through. Some of you do. And I'm sorry if you feel like, you know, sermons are sometimes directed at you. They are, but no, no. Um, But I don't, you know, you know, I'm saying that it's impossible. But the Spirit. He gives us words of love. He speaks words of truth and encouragement. He convicts us of sin. This is the work of the Spirit within us. But the Spirit within us also empowers us. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. It's an amazing passage and whole chapter, a couple of chapters, about the empowerment, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That we have a God who, yeah, I mean, again, it's not a religion. It's not a list of things you have to do in order to appease him. But there is a list. There's a list of things that he wants us to do, the ways that he wants us to live. There is a law, good and evil. You know, what's bad and and what's not bad, right? I mean, it's there. And so how do we somehow achieve his will? How do we do what he calls us to? How do we live righteously? We do it because of the manifestation of the Spirit, because he empowers us. It's the Spirit empowering us to do these things, not because we've done them on our own strength. Too many Christians running around thinking, look how holy I am. You are not holy. The Holy Spirit within you is holy, and he has made you that way if you have any of that in you at all. He empowers us with gifts that are natural, that we're born with. Gifts that, you know, we just are naturally talented to do. Some people, you know, most people hate to be up front talking. And then there's, you know, pastors. <laughs> weird, weird group, I know, right? They, you know, that's just, that's a gift, right? That's, that's something that God has naturally given me, the, the lack of fear to get up in front of people and talk. People wish I had more fear to get up in front of people and talk. <laughs> Especially my wife. <laughs> But also there's unnatural gifts that he gives us. Gifts that we don't normally have, but in the moment they're needed and the Holy Spirit shows up. Like the disciples. At the very beginning, when they first received the Holy Spirit, he, he doesn't give them tongues you know, just because. Like, you know, that would be fun. He gives them tongues because it's needed in the moment in order to proclaim the, God, proclaim the good news to all those people from all those different areas in their own language so that they know, wait a second, there's something different going on here. God will provide. He will empower us in the moment. 
whatever it is. This is why we never say no to God. Doesn't matter what he calls us to. Doesn't matter what he tells us to do. We don't say, ah, I don't think I can do it. No, we just say, okay. Because if we do that, he can give us the power to walk on water. He's the one who empowers us. It's through the Holy Spirit what we need to accomplish his will. And then finally, he also produces fruit. Galatians 5, of course, where we reap the benefits of this restored relationship with our creator. And, and understand that this fruit is both internal and external. You know, the, the fruit of the spirit is, is about an internal reality that as we live with the spirit, as the spirit indwells us, those characteristics begin to be experienced by us internally. We feel love. We feel that peace. We feel joy. We develop that self-control. But it's also external in the sense that as we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, as we do what God calls us to, we begin to see that fruit produced outside of us in the community around us as well, as they begin to feel loved and they begin to feel joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and faithfulness. The fruit also includes ministry, success in ministry. Not success in the world's eyes of success. Again, we too often look at it from that, you know, you know the world says bigger is better, right? You always got to, you know, it's always got to be more, more, more. So that's, that is not the kind of, that's not the way that scripture defines success. Success in ministry is you seeking Jesus, following his lead and doing what he tells you no matter what. That's success. And we see success in ministry as we do that. And then if he chooses, if others choose to respond appropriately, they come as well. And they get to do the same thing that we're doing. So these are the amazing blessings, and there's many more. But uh, the fact that the Spirit dwells within us, he reveals truth to us. He knows God. We know God's will because the Spirit is within us. The Spirit empowers us, and the Spirit produces fruit. So let's go tell it on the mountain. The world needs what we have. Do you remember the days before you came to Christ? I was only four, so I don't remember much about those times. But, but do you remember like what it was like? Some of you may. People all around us are pretending. They're living a life that is a facade. It's fake. It's not real. And inside they know there's more. Do you remember that time? Do you remember before you came to the Lord feeling like, what is all this about? And if you can't find an answer, you just have to pretend like what you're living for is real. But it's not. And you know it down deep inside that it's not. Our world needs to know what is true and what is real. And we know it. As Christians, we know what is true. We know who is real. We have the answer. 
The world is just pretending. And people are failing. Totally exhausted. Totally burnt out and totally unsatisfied with their life. They're failing in life. Some of them don't want to admit it. Maybe some of them haven't totally got there yet and even realize they're failing. But we as Christians should know they're failing because they're pursuing something that's not real. They're after their own glory when the only thing that is real and the only thing that is worth pursuing is God's glory. They need true success that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. They need what we have. And people are alone. They're trying to navigate this life by themselves. Have you ever experienced loneliness? And I will say this as well, and I don't think this is just because I'm a pastor. Life is lonely even in community. Life is lonely. It is only when we know Jesus, when the Spirit is in us, that we no longer feel lonely. People all around us are lonely because they're trying to navigate their life on their own. It is truly lonely. And even if they surround themselves with some kind of community, they are still alone because they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And people are afraid. They're desperate for some kind of security, some kind of idea that tomorrow it's not all just going to fall apart. And they need assurance that what they're living for is real and true and right, and that it's not going to fail them when times get tough. Go tell it on the mountain. We're surrounded by a world in need. They don't have truth. They don't have power. They don't have community. They don't have assurance. Question, the question I want to ask this morning to close our time is, are you still in the world? Are you still in the world? For, for us Christians, we can be too quick sometimes to escape the world. What I mean is that we, you know, finally get to that point where we get saved and, and we're so excited and, and the life we lived before maybe wasn't very great. And, and so we're like, okay, you know, now that I'm, I'm saved and I realize what is true, I, I, I need to just totally surround myself with all these other people that know what's true because, you know, the world is evil and ugly and, and they're just a bad influence. And so I need to dive into this and we too quickly ex escape from the world. Are you still in the world? You see, who are we going to tell? If we're surrounding ourselves with a bunch of people who are already in. 
See, we can feel really good about sharing the love of Jesus with people who already know the love of Jesus. But that's not the call, right? That's not what Jesus is directing us to. The world is desperate. They're the ones who need it. We're called actually to stay where we are. 1 Corinthians 7, interesting passage where Paul is talking about those who come to know Jesus for the first time. He says, some of you were slaves when you came. He says, don't, don't try to not be slaves anymore. Don't try to escape that or think that you have to, now that you're a Christian, you have to not be a slave in order to really live that out. He also even goes into the married. Some of you are married to a non-Christian. You know, don't feel like you have to escape that relationship and just divorce them in order to live out your Christianity more fully fully. No, no, no. Stay where you're at. You see, the kingdom of God is meant to go with us. When we come to know Christ, we don't get, we don't get immediately transfigured into eternity, and we also don't escape the world and go just hang out with this commune of people who are all Christians and believe like we do. No, the Christian faith is one that when we come to understand that amazing truth, we can't help but share it with others. Because we love those people that were influencing us poorly before. Now we want to go and influence them positively towards Christ. They need what we have. Christians can too often isolate. We want to keep the world out. Too many churches close their doors to people who are seeking Jesus. You got to look a certain way to get through the doors of that church. You got to speak a certain way. You can't smell a certain way. You've got to jump through, you know, kind of the, the acceptable hoops in order to get into that church. Now understand, church is for the body. And we need to continue to gather together for that encouragement. But may, may we never hold ourselves up and lock the doors and not allow those who don't know Jesus in. Sometimes that's the only way they're going to discover it because they don't have any Christians in their life. And so they go, okay, I need to know more about Jesus. Where's the nearest church? We're actually called in Matthew 5.13 to be what? The salt of the earth. We're supposed to mingle with the world. We're supposed to be out there. We're supposed to, you know, be around non-Christians. We're meant to be real-life examples to our world of what life actually is and could be. Again, that's not because we're perfect, but because he is. Christians can be often too filled with fear of the world. We're afraid to go out there. I mean, what happens? I mean, you know what the world's like. I mean, that's crazy out there. I mean, who knows what they're going to do? I mean, they might ask me if, you know, I want to smoke or they might, might ask me if I want to drink or something. I mean, what am I going to do, right? I mean, or they might influence me in a bad way or they might, I mean, who, who, I mean they might, they might say the bad word. <laughs> right? We're too filled with fear sometimes. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, we, don't, we no longer have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. That's what drives us. And so the guy I'm golfing with that's cussing up a storm, I love him. 
and try not to say the words he's saying. It's really hard sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I want to, though. Be strong and courageous because God is with you. You don't go out into the world alone. If you were, I'd say, yeah, don't go out in the world. But now that we have the spirit, we can have confidence to step out the door and go out. Who knows what's going to happen? Into dangerous places where it's illegal to be a Christian, but also into dangerous places where it's going to, you know, offend our sensibilities. And Christians too often can be concerned simply about themselves. I've seen it all the time. I think it's maybe more, more of an American thing than anything, but it's probably everywhere. Where, you know, you come to faith and you think, okay, now, you know, it's all about me in essence, and we have to work on our own sin. We've got to deal with our own struggle for holiness. And so my life is self-absorbed with holiness and sanctification. And we never even pay attention to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You know, we often say, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not really not ready yet. It reminds me, I, I, I've been reading through the book of John slowly this time, and it's been great, but uh, I think it's John chapter 8, um, where the, a blind man gets healed. Now, how long does it take him to begin to proclaim the goodness of God? Did he go study for a while to figure out, you know, who this Jesus was? I mean, he didn't even know who Jesus was at first, Right. The Pharisees call him in and say, hey, who healed you? Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's this guy. He put mud on my eyes, and I went and washed, and hey, I can see. It's cool. Right? You see, we, we, we can get wrapped up in the sense that we've got to you know, get to this level of perfection before we can go and tell it on the mountain. No, we're, we can go tell it on the mountain the moment we have that experience. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus, what did he do to bring you to that point? Why did you accept him as Lord and Savior? Go tell other people about it. What did he do? How did he change your life? Let's not be so self-absorbed and self-focused, thinking that, again, and this is the, this is the trap, right? That, you know, somehow my sin is going to mess everything up. Uh, our sin has already messed up everything as much as it can be, forever, for all time, okay? I mean, since the beginning, boom, it's, it's, it's messed up, all right? God knows he is able even to use our sin for his glory. Genesis chapter 50, right? Joseph and his brothers, hey, you guys meant this for harm. You sold me into slavery to destroy me, to make my life miserable, to do evil things. But God has used it to feed all of these millions of people. Praise be to God. Our sin, don't, so don't, don't, don't hold back. Don't get so self-absorbed thinking it's all about my sanctification. Matter of fact, I will say this, being around people who aren't sanctified leads and helps us to recognize our own need for sanctification and helps us to be more focused on Jesus, which is how we get to experience and enjoy more fully our sanctification that we already have because of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for sending your son and Jesus. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross for us and opening up the way for salvation. Lord, that we can actually have your spirit, the same spirit that dwelled within you gets to dwell within us. Lord, it's an amazing truth, amazing reality that we can be one with you and that you love us intimately and personally. So Lord, we just thank you for this amazing truth. And we ask that you help us, 
Help us to tell it on the mountain. Help us not to hold it in. Help us to continue to be engaged in this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We don't do things like the world does. We do things like you do. And as we do things like you do, when we do your will in the world, it becomes, becomes, obvious, becomes obvious that we're different. Lord, help us to be different. Help us to embrace that reality. Lord, give us opportunities to share what we've experienced in you with others. And Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to speak, to step up, to not stand back, not to isolate, not to get away from the world, but Lord, give us the strength and the, and the courage and the power to step into the world because they need you. Help us to love the world like you did. Acts 13, verse 47 and following for so the Lord has commanded us saying I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth and when the Gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to enter life to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region but the Jews, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. If you would like prayer this morning, we have elders up front. We would love to pray with you. Have a great Sunday.